All right, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. To yourself, think this in your brain, what comes to your mind when I say the word relationships? You don't have to say it out loud. Some of you might be like, bad things, bad things come to my mind when I think the word relationships. But the truth of it is, like, all kinds of things probably run through your head when I think of the word relationships. A lot of us are probably thinking some kind of dating, some kind of romantic relationship. And certainly that's a part of this scenario, but it's not all of this scenario. Because when I say relationships, it really should categorize a, a, a whole bunch of relationships that you have in your life. You have a relationship with your parents, believe it or not. You potentially have relationships with the opposite sex, and you have relationships with these people that you call friends. That's called a friendship, a relationship. And so you function in all kinds of different relationships in your life, some with authority, some in a dating environment, some in a friendship environment. And we really ought to ask the question, okay, if that's a scenario, how do we honor God in those arenas? Rather, in light of this series, how do we worship God in those arenas? See, last week we stepped into this series called More Than a Song, looking at certain areas of our life that are common to us to ask and answer the question, how do we live worshipfully in these areas? Because if we are people who say, yes, we are the people of Jesus, we've been transformed by the gospel, then what that demands is not that we just sing in worship, but that we lay our lives down in worship. Which affects every area of our life, specifically for this series, four things that we're going to talk about. Last week we talked about social media and how we operate on social media in a worshipful way. And this week what we'll do is we'll address three different kinds of relationships that you have and how we live worshipfully in those three different areas. Relationships of authority, dating relationships, and friendship relationships. To ask and answer the question, how do we live in a worshipful way in these different relationships? So Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, I'll read verse 1 and 2. Where does God say this? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, if you were with us last week, you're thinking, hey, Cade, you know you did that text last week. Yes, I do, believe it or not. But here's what we're doing. We're going to move through this text, and I'm going to, in a quicker way, tease out what Paul's talking about here and lay that grid over relationships, just like we did for social media, just like we will for school, just like we will for your free time. But what is it that Paul is saying here? Look back at verse 1. We're going to answer this question Why should we understand all of our life as an opportunity to worship? Back at verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, that is, followers of Jesus. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, with what? By the mercies of God. What is Paul talking about? He's talking about the gospel. In Romans 1 through 11, he just teased out, spread out. This is the good news of Jesus, that God in his mercy has sent his son to become human, to live perfectly, to die the death that you and I deserve, and to rise from the dead as the victorious king, that for all those who put their faith in him, they are declared right before God, based on nothing they have done and based on everything Jesus has accomplished for them. And Paul says, I'm appealing to you by that. By this gospel that we hold on to. Because if you're in here and you're saying, yes, I'm a Christian, what you're saying is that you have believed that. That Jesus has taken your place and that there's no other way to God other than through him. 
And if you have not believed that, then according to the scriptures, you're not a follower of Jesus. And that's not me judging you. That's not me trying to be mean to you. That's me saying there is no other way. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And so Paul says to these people, I appeal to you in light of the gospel, in light of the mercies of God, what does he appeal to us to do? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He says in light of the gospel, in light of the truth that Jesus has come, lived, died, and risen, you ought to present your your body, your whole life, you ought to surrender it to God as a living sacrifice. How should we do that? In a holy and acceptable way. And what is that? He says it's your spiritual worship. So how is it? How is it that all of life is worship to God? Well, according to Paul, here's the first thing. Because the gospel of Jesus transforms all of our life. It's not just your church life. It's not just your spiritual life. It's not just your behavior life. The gospel of Jesus transforms all of your life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The truth of the gospel and you believing it is that your old self dies and you get a new self. You are completely new. You're something different. You have morphed, transformed into something different. The gospel affects all of your life. You do not get to categorize the gospel into some cubby in your life. It affects everything. And if it doesn't, What you are saying to God is, I rule this kingdom. You can rule over here. And friends, I'm just telling you, God wins that war. God will be the king. And so, we worship God with all of our life because this gospel that that Paul says we're, we're being appealed by transforms all of our life. And so then what's the result? The result is that we surrender our life to God. He says that the gospel transforms all of our lives, so then our response is this, to surrender all of our life to God. It's the appropriate response. It makes sense. It's almost as if Paul's saying, look, in light of this incredible news that you couldn't fix yourself, and so God in his kindness sent Jesus to be the fix that you would never be. The appropriate response is this. Lay your life down. Surrender yourself to God. He says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. It's a metaphorical way for you to get this. I'm laying myself on this altar to say, God, you have my life in every part of it. This is how Paul depicts worship in the Bible. He says, do it in a way that's holy and acceptable. But this is how we're defining worship for this series. In light of Romans chapter 12, Worship is the surrendering of all of our life to God in response to who God is and what God has done through Jesus. Think about about what we just did. We worshiped God through song, and some of us take this posture where we stick up our hands. Not as a way to reach out to God, but as a way to say, we surrender everything we have to you. We are in awe of you. It is worship. It's surrender. And so worshiping God is the surrender of all of our life in response to who God is and what God has done through Jesus in light of the mercies of God. This is why we understand all of life is worship. But maybe the question that you have now is this. 
Great, how, how do we do that? How do we operate in a way that puts all of life in a worshipful way? Well, Paul answers the question in verse 2. Look back at verse 2. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we know, we know that we ought to worship God with all of our life, but how? Paul says this. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. So there's two things that we need to understand in order to know how to worship God with all of our life. The first thing is this, that you would reject conformity. You would reject conformity. You would identify the ways that the world, the culture that you live in, is discipling you away from God's design, and you would reject it. You would reject conformity. Really, the picture that Paul is giving is that you would not fit inside the world's mold for you. You would bust out of that mold. You would know that God has something different. You don't need to fit in the mold. You should reject conformity. Don't be conformed to this world. Rather, do this. But, he says, be transformed. So you should reject conformity and then pursue transformation. How do we pursue transformation? He says, But be transformed, how? By the renewal of your mind. So you should think differently about whatever arena of life that you're living in. So so last week we looked at how do we think differently about how we operate on social media? How do we reject conformity and how do we pursue transformation by thinking differently about it? If we do those things, then we can ensure that that we are worshiping God on social media. We would reject conformity and we would pursue transformation. And as a result, we would know what's God's will for us, what's good and acceptable and perfect. Because that's really what we're asking, isn't it? Okay, I, I get it, Cade. I, I, want to, I want to live with all of my life as worship in these relationships. I want to do that. What's God's will for that? How do I get there? You reject conformity. And you pursue transformation. You, you don't be conformed, but you be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You think differently. So then, what does this have to do with our relationships? How do we operate in the different relationships that we have worshipfully? And I said that we have three different categories. We certainly probably have more than that. But for the sake of the majority of the room, we probably have three common categories. Relationships with authority. Relationships potentially in a dating environment and relationships with friends. Now you're like, bro, I'm not dating. This doesn't apply to me. Well, God willing, you will one day, so listen. But first, we'll start with authority. And we'll, we'll start in the way that Paul presents it. We'll first identify how are we being tempted to conform? How is the culture discipling us to respond in these relationships? And then we'll ask the question, how do we think differently? So the first category, how are we tempted to conform, fit in the mold when it comes to our relationships with authority? Well, the most common relationship of authority that you have are these people called your parents. So how is the culture tempting you to conform? Well, probably the broadest way I could say this is this. They're just tempting you to reject that authority, to push against it. By making you think things like this, hey, your parents, they're against you. They're not really for you. If they were for you, they wouldn't take that from you. If they were for you, they'd let you do what you want. I mean, after all, you're certainly an adult at 14, right? 
Your parents, they're not for you. Your parents, they don't want you to have fun. They probably sit in their room and they're like, hey, tomorrow we're going to make a plan to ruin our kids' lives. Your parents, they don't want you to have fun. That's why they don't let you go to. They don't let you hang with. Because they're just trying to rob you of fun. Your parents, they don't know any better. So reject that authority. You're tempted to think things like, hey, your parents, they don't understand you. They don't get you. They don't know what it's like. They don't know what it's like to be a teenager. They just, they just came into the world at 40. They don't get it. And you're tempted to believe these things. Oh, well, well okay, well, maybe they were teenagers, but that was in like the 30s, right? Like it's 2019. They don't get it. They don't know what it's like. Your parents, they don't know better than you. You know who knows best for you? You. And you're tempted to believe these things. And maybe in this moment you think, oh, those sounds so ridiculous. But in the moments where your parents, your parents discipline you, you know what you think? This isn't fair. When your parents don't let you be a part of something that everybody else gets a part of, you must not know better than me. I know that I can handle it, mom or dad. And so you're tempted to reject that authority over and over again. Over and over again. And the same is true with non-parental authority. You're tempted to reject it. And you're under authority a large portion of your life. If you go to a school, you're under authority. You sit in a classroom with teachers that have bosses that are called principals. And you're under authority. And you're tempted to be like, hey, be the clown. Everybody loves the clown. Hey, hey, let's, let's all make fun of the teacher. Let's, let's talk. She won't even know. It's going to be hilarious. And you're tempted to reject that authority. You're tempted to reject it. How are we tempted to conform in dating relationships? How is the culture trying to get you to fit into the mold? Teaching you how to date in a way that's different than God's design? Maybe they say things to you like this, or you think things regarding dating that are like this, but you're being taught these things by the culture. If you don't date starting in junior high or high school, how will you ever know how to do it later? As if this is just practice for the real thing. Friends, I promise you, if you just go into dating thinking about it as practice, you will get hurt and you will destroy somebody else in the process. It's not a game, it's not practice, it's people. They say things like, you have to have somebody to be somebody. Coupling off, it's just, it's just it, you want to matter, you want to feel loved, get a boyfriend, get a girlfriend. Right? And you're tempted into this scenario. Everybody in high school couples off. You've got to do it. What if I, I mean, what do I, I what if I don't do it? I, like, I might be alone forever. If I don't date at 15, I'm probably never going to get married. Hold on. And we push and we push and we push. This is how you're being tempted to conform. In another way, you're being tempted to conform in dating. You have to date a lot of different people to find out who the one is. So just make sure you just roll through a bunch of different people to find out this perfect human that fits the list that you've made to find the one. There's like 7 billion people in the world. And we're looking for the one. Good luck, friend. 
Good luck. But what you're being taught is, hey, just date a bunch of people. Date them, because if you, if you don't date them, you can't really know them. As if you're not allowed to observe character without being in a relationship. In fact, you probably observe character better outside of a dating relationship. Because listen, listen to me. Any goon can turn on the charm for three hours on a date. But his or her character will get exposed Time and time again, when they're with their friends, when they're with their parents, as you're hanging out in a group, you see their character. And character is way more important. You don't need to date them to figure that out. You don't need to have them in your bio in order to figure out, are they a worthy person to be with? You're being tempted to conform in dating with things like, if you like somebody or you have feelings for someone, you have to act. You have to date them. Here's the problem with that. Your feelings change like every hour. You're like, dang, homeboy is hot. And then he walks in next week and you're like, yo, you are ugly, bro. (laughs) And if you would have just, if you would have just launched out at that feeling, it would have gone bad for you. Just because you have feelings for somebody doesn't mean you have to act on them. Listen to me. Somebody has said this to me before. This is not mine, but it has been enormously helpful to me. Feelings are great companions, but they are poor guides to your life. If you live guided by your feelings, you will live pursuing destruction because your feelings will fail you over and over again. You're tempted to conform in dating by looking at it like this. The only thing that really matters is if they're attractive, right? If they're attra- I mean, they just got to look good. Now, am I saying that, like, you should not care if they look good? No, fine. Like, be attracted to them. It's important. It's important. Don't be like, hey, they're great personality. My husband, he is ugly, but man, he's nice. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't want that. But listen to me. If you bet your life on whether or not they are attractive, that will let you down. Proverbs 31 it says, charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And that certainly applies to men. Hey, listen to me. She might look great now. She, he might look great. He might have humongous biceps and a rippling eight-pack. <laughs> but that dude's going to become a dad one day and turn 40 and start wearing slacks a lot and just not look as good. I mean, like, it's just part of life. Your body starts to fail you. And if you bet your life on, yeah, but they look good. They're, they, that guy, he's an idiot, but he looks good. You're going to find yourself 20, 25 years into a marriage at a place where you are emotionally empty. But man, he looks good. Don't buy that. The last way I think you're tempted in dating to conform to the world is you buy this. I'm looking for my soulmate. I'm looking for the one that completes me. This is more of the one idea. Friend, you're you're not looking for your soulmate. You're not looking for the one that completes you. In fact, if you put that on on another human, what you have done is said, I would like you to be my God that I can worship. Because no girl and no guy will complete you. It just won't happen. You know what they'll do? They'll let you down. 
they're a busted up, broken human, just like you are. If, if my wife looked to me to complete her, I would fail her time and time again. She looks to the one who is better to complete her, to the one who never lets her down. She looks to Jesus. Do I want to be a good husband? Yep. Do I want to be there for her? Yes. Can I heal all of her wounds? No. But Jesus can. So stop looking for your soulmate. That's a lie that you potentially have bought. What about with friends? How are we tended to conform with our friends? First way is this. Friendships are really just about what's in it for you. Friendships are just about what's in it for you. Maybe, maybe this is the way that you're tempted to believe. Friendships, if, if they were really good friends, it wouldn't take work. It wouldn't be work to be in friendship. But that's not true. Because sometimes it's work to love somebody well. And maybe you're tempted to believe in this way. True friends, if they're really your friends, they accept you for you. They don't tell you the truth. They just, they love you for you. They don't want you to be different. They love you for you. They're not going to tell you, hey, this is not okay, because they're your real friends, right? But that would be a lie. So then, how do we think about these areas of our life differently? With authority. With authority. I'm going to give you two things to think about as we rethink Worshiping God in our relationships. The first thing is this. Always, per, always choose God's design. In these different areas of relationships, always choose God's design. With authority, with parents. Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 3 says this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. It is God's design that you would submit yourself and honor your parents. You're like, yeah, but my parents, they are not great humans. I, I, I cannot imagine the scenario you may be in. You may be in a home where your parents aren't Christ followers, where your parents are big hypocrites. I have no, I have no clue. But the command from God is honor them. So that might look different in your scenario. It doesn't mean that you have to be like them, but it means that you have to honor them. And honoring them looks like speaking to them kindly. Looks like showing them love, even when they don't show you love, maybe. That's what honor looks like. You would honor them because it's God's design. What about with authority that's not parent authority? Romans 13, 1 through 2 says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. When you resist authority in your life, you are not just resisting the authority that's there, but you are resisting God himself. That's a bigger problem to have. So what's God's design? That you would submit to that authority and that you would honor them. What about dating? What is God's design? 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you before and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness." 
Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Again, when we reject God's design for relationships with authority or relationships in dating, it's not just a rejection of my instruction to you, it's a rejection of God's commands to you. This kind of living says way more about who we think God is than anything else. So are we willing to choose God's design in relationships of authority and relationships of dating? What about with friends? What is God's design? Proverbs 13 verse 20 says this, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. What's the point? Choose good friends. Choose good friends. Proverbs 22, 24 through 25 says this, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. As you are choosing friends, don't choose friends based on popularity. Don't choose friends based on where you want to be one day, but choose friends with good character. Choose friends that are Christ followers to keep inside your inner circle. Always choose God's design in these relationships because God's design is always best. It's always best. The second thing for rethinking how we worship God in our relationships, always choose to honor the other person or the other people. So always choose God's design, but also choose to honor the other person or the other people. With the relationships of authority, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 and 14 says this, for you were called to freedom, brothers. That is, you Christians, you're free. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And look at me. That applies to your parents. When Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, your parent is your neighbor. Love them as yourself. Your teacher is your neighbor. Your principal is your neighbor. Your coach is your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. So you ought to think, how would I want to be loved? And you ought to love them like that. But okay, they don't deserve it. Neither did we from Jesus, yet we got it. Love your neighbor as yourself. With dating, how do we choose honor? Genesis 1, 27 says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You need to pursue seeing this rightly. You need to see the opposite sex as made in the image of God, not a body for you to look at or to have. They're made in the image of God. And so treat them as people who bear the image of God. Show honor to them in that way. And what about with friendships? How do we rethink this? How do we choose honor? Matthew 7 verse 12 says this, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Here's the point of that. You ought to be the friend that you want others to be to you. Don't worry about what they're like. You worry about the kind of friend that you are. Be the kind of friend you want others to be to you. Love them even when they don't return love. That's the kind of friend that chooses honor. That's the kind of friend that's rethinking their relationships and is deciding to worship God in those relationships. Ask yourself, is the way that I'm living in this relationship with my parents, with 
my boyfriend or girlfriend, with my friends? Is the way that I'm living in this relationship honoring to the other person or the other people? Is it honoring to them? Think in their relationships with your parents and your boyfriend and girlfriend, with your friends. Is the way that I'm living in this relationship in line with God's design or in contradiction to God's design? One's better than the other. One leads to life. One will rob you of life. So this is how we ought to think about our relationships and how to worship God in them. You're going to go home tonight to people that are your authority. And you ought to think, how do I worship God in this relationship? You have friends. You ought to ask, how do I worship God in this relationship? Some of you are dating or will date, and you should ask, how do I worship God in this relationship? There is no greater question to ask. Because the gospel has transformed all of our life. And as a result, we surrender all of our life. That's what worship looks like.